Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Better Golf Podcast. With me, as always, Tee Off Sports, Spencer Aguiar. Spencer, I greatly appreciate you and Sia pulling my weight last week as I was on vacation in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas. Living it up on a lake, playing some golf, getting incredibly sunburnt and a lot of bug bites. So some say that is considered living the dream, I guess. I don't know, but I did not make one golf bet last week as I was telling you I was in a state that does not allow it and anything I found offshore was pretty trash. So I will let you talk about all the good, the bad of last week. It sounded like a great week. I saw on Twitter you were adding Cam Davis live. Obviously, he took it home, which is great because I feel like Cam Davis is a guy that is on both of our models, like a, a top 30 guy every single week. So it's great to see him finally win one and, you know, show us that our, our models are not significantly off on a player that we both think is very, very talented. So congrats to Cam Davis. But the Rocket Mortgage Classic, how was it for you, Spencer? Let's hear it. You know, I think I might have mentioned this, maybe our first or second show that we ever did together. I ran a model at the beginning of this year that it took the top 600 players before the season started. And essentially what I was trying to find was a golfer that on a neutral course showed up as a value compared to what his ranking was. So Cam Davis at the time was outside of the top 100 in the world. And in my model, he ranked as the 14th best golfer on tour on a neutral course. So naturally, when you see something like that, there's going to be value to be had in wagers. And I had tweeted about it for a bunch of months that I think Cam Davis is going to win a tournament at some point. I think he's inching in closer to doing it. And I kind of for two months spent the time of backing him pre-tournament every single week. And I made a decision a couple months ago that I was going to, instead of wasting units before the tournament started, add Cam Davis after an event. Like if he's out of the event, then I save a couple, you know, a tenth of a unit here, two tenths of a unit there. But my goal was to always try to get him, you know, in a, in a spot where maybe he could find himself in contention. So I ended up profiting 4.12 units in the outright market last week. Uh, I had a close call on Neiman also. And then, as you said, the live edition of Cam Davis, I'm a little frustrated with it that I didn't get a bigger win than five units. I think when your model is that much more advanced than where the rest of the market is with it, that's kind of where you should be getting these really big wins. So I was a little frustrated that it didn't equate to more. If I would have listened to my model, it could have been a really big win with that, but Still, a win is a win at the end of the day, so I was happy to pick up some profit there. I was minus 2.87 units in the head-to-head market. That was a 2-5-1 record. Both of my wins, ironically, came against Jason Day, who was the opponent that had the best finish. And then four of the five losses featured an opponent that either missed the cut or finished 67th or worse. So, I mean, to me, that just signifies being on the wrong side of variance. I feel like I'm picking my opponents well. That's something that's just going to happen with this. It's just, you know, there's ebbs and flows to this industry. So I, I'm not going to overly look that, although that has been a problem this year in general. I feel like there's been a lot of miscut, miscut battles or a bunch of like really good example of that last week of a guy who made the cut that I was opposing was Will Zalatoris. He comes in dead last place of the people that made the cut. Webb Simpson implodes on Friday, misses the cut. I lose that wager there. So that's just a little frustrating with that. But then uh, 2.41 units in the top 40. A uh, plus 225 winner on Snedeker, a plus 135 win on McNeely. And then I hit Lebiota for plus 250 in the top 40 and plus 400 in the top 30. And I know C on the show last week. He also liked Lebiota. He liked, I believe he had a top 20 Lebiota ticket even, and he also had an outright. So 
great call on Sia's part with that too. And uh, I mean, the only other one worth mentioning for me would be Aaron Baddeley. I had him as uh, top 40 at plus 400. He came in 41st place. That was my biggest wager I made of the week uh, for an actual win total. I had 0.7 units on him. So just missed out of cash on that. Uh, all in all, 3.66 units of profit. Never going to complain about being in the green at the end of a week. Oh, hell yeah, man. That's <laughs> top 40 ticket. He finishes 41st. That's uh, that's the story that'll break your heart. But no, great week last week. And shout out to Sia for helping us out. I know his content is awesome. And you two together just makes me feel like I shouldn't even come back to the podcast. Because after listening to the last, I was like, damn, these guys are good. But let's get right into it uh about two hours west of me the tpc deer run in silvis illinois pretty much the border of illinois and iowa a short par 71 7200 yards uh, i think it's all bent grass i will let um spencer go into the rest of the course breakdown here with 156 golfers top 65 end ties will make the cut i will let uh spencer go over the previous winners and everything that he is weighing into this model because to be quite frank i just really went after approach and putting and I know you're going to be kind of the same, but in a lot more detail. So, Spencer, how are we looking for TPC Deer Run, unfortunately? Um, who's our guy that uh, – KH Lee, not playing yeah. this week. Don't get it. All he does is cash significant checks at TPC properties, but apparently money is not everything, and he is out this week. But let's hear it. TPC Deer Run, Silvis, Illinois. Yeah, so we'll have 156 golfers, top 65, and ties will make the cut. Uh, winner, if not already qualified for the Open Championship, will get in. There was no tournament last year in 2020 because of COVID. Dylan Fratelli won it in 2019 at 21 under par. Michael Kim in 2018 at 27 under par. Bryson DeChambeau in 2017 at 18 under par. Ryan Moore in 2016 at 22 under par. And Jordan Spieth in 2015 at 20 under par. And kind of just to go with what you just said, it's an approach and putting week. You know, at the end of the day, this is another birdie fest. Two of the three par fives are reachable in two shots. And we get a venue with wide open fairways and larger than average greens. Players find the short grass here 72% of the time, which is nearly 10% above tour average. And GIR percentage is also 6% higher. So essentially, as you said, wedge and putting contest at the end of the day. So from a statistical perspective, you know, I'm under the belief that models can be run in a similar way as Detroit, although I would stress to have, add a higher degree of course history to mix if you incorporate that into your research. Detroit Golf Club had virtually no rollover quality of success, whereas Deer Run and specifically TPC properties in general, which is why we see KH Lee and guys like that. Similar leaderboards yearly. I think that's an important thing to note. Look at TPC properties. Look at Deer Run. Add some of that into your mix and your models with that. So Based off of all that information, I once again started my research by placing 35% of my statistical weight onto a category I created that measures weighted proximity and weighted putting. For anyone that didn't tune in last week, I essentially am looking at where the percentage of iron shots are coming from and recalculating a proximity total suited for the specific event. So the exact breakdown for that, which is a little bit different than last week, is 11.6% within 100 yards, so not as many uh, short irons. But then we see this next range, the next three ranges specifically kind of all get enhanced with it. So 12.5% uh, from 100 to 125, 20% from 125 to 150, 19.2% from 150 to 175, 16.7% from 175 to 200, and 20.1% from 200+. plus. I then looked at each golfer's make percentage from 0 to 5 feet, 5 to 10 feet, 10 to 15 feet, and compared it to historical data at the venue. 
So once again, exactly like last week, I'm trying to find players that will not only hit their irons within a makeable range, but will also give themselves a better chance to make the putt. That split for me ended up being 65% proximity, 35% putt. And all of that sounds, that's a lot of information. That's a lot of numbers. I want it to be conceptual in the sense of like, there's certain players that fit the mold and criteria. So I'm going to run through some of the guys that, because I think it's an important thing to talk about that graded in the top 10 for me in that category, because it's such a unique category that people aren't putting together. Uh, So Daniel Berger was number one, Russell Henley, number two, Harry Higgs, number three, Vaughn Taylor, four, Cameron Davis, five, which this is the exact stat that popped for Cameron Davis last week for why I believe he won the tournament. So, you know, interesting to see him pop there again. Brian Harmon, six, Matt Every, seventh, which my model does not like Matt Every this week, but this was the one category where he popped out kind of out of nowhere with it. He's 109th in my model, but there's something to be said about him being seventh here. Hank Lebiota, eighth, Scott Stallings, ninth. And ironically enough, Michael Kim is 10th. He's 108th in my model. Model doesn't like him either, but he's a former winner of this event. And I think that when you see something like this, the win may not have been as big of a fluke as you think. And if you can find one of these guys with weighted proximity and weighted putting, that might fit some sort of a mold. You might be able to find a long shot winner with it just to run through a couple more guys. Uh, Gim was 11. Strillman was 12. You know, Wierenski, Nod, Siwoo Kim, those guys rounded up the top 20 for me. I also, once again, went back to strokes gain total on easy courses. Over the last 50, I put 20% there. I put 15% on par five birdie or better percentage. All of that's pretty much the same blueprint um, as last week, as I said, although par five is lowered since we only have three. And I love the strokes gain total on easy courses because it's just an artificial way to add more scoring to my model. I did 15% on a weighted strokes gain total on bent plus birdie or better percentage. That's a 50-50 split between the two. And the top players for me on that, uh, I do want to read these off also. Uh, let me get this onto the top of uh, to get this in order here. But once again, number one is Daniel Berger for me. Number two is Brian Harmon. Cam Davis is third. Sungjae fourth. Sebastian Munoz fifth. Strillman sixth. Siwoo seventh. Kazire eighth. Pat Perez ninth. Kevin Na is tenth. And then I finished it with off the tee plus approach for 15%. That's 60% off the tee and 40% approach. Uh, Numbers are generated from a two-year strokes gain total for each. So Longer data, as always, it's not going to give you as much of the current form with it, but uh, I just like running my model that way so we don't get like it infused with all the guys that are currently hot. I'm trying to find guys that have a little bit more substance than a long-term perspective. Yeah, which I think is probably pretty important in a field that's kind of this sporadic. There's not a lot of big-name golfers you know, outside of Daniel Berger. If you want to call Sunjay and Brian Harmon the next two biggest names, <laughs> this is a pretty weak golf tournament, and it's going to be a birdie fest. So I absolutely love your breakdown on what's going in the model. I did certainly didn't get that in-depth, but as you were going, I did start to weigh my course history a little bit higher and all my course history ratings for TPC because I like to... Uh, it seems like this year, especially the guys that perform on TPC properties continue to perform on TP pro, uh, TPC properties. So I love that. Um, is there anything else that I guess in your mind that was different compared to what, you know, if you just pull up a field, uh, an article on like, all right, what strokes gain metrics are important to the field in this golf tournament? Is there anything that you did different uh, against a grant, I guess I should say? No, I mean, I, like the only thing is we, you just said with it, I, I just added a little bit more to course history. Like last week I had virtually zero into my model. I do think it's very important if you're able to figure out a way to do it. I know not every single site has the ability to, to, to do that. And, 
it may just be as simple of as you can look at my model and look at course history that way. There's other features out there and other sites out there that have course history data. I think it's important to look through that. And I mean, the only other thing that was vastly different was just the weighted bent grass uh, strokes gain total and birdie or better percentage. It's just was another way for me to find guys. This is an all bent grass course. I, I want to find guys that were good on bent grass and the birdie or better percentage just adds another way for me to get guys that are going to score. It's a birdie contest. Anytime you have a birdie contest, I want wedges. I want guys that are going to try to make the putts. And, you know, if a guy's more likely to, whether it's because he hits his irons a little closer in proximity, he hits his, you know, he makes a little bit more putts on bent or whatever the reason is. That's, that's the reason for that. And I guess the one thing I will say, just because I got a question last week asked to me that I think is a good question to answer on this show. Somebody asked me, why do I do my own weighted proximity versus just taking the proximity of, you know, a player over like whatever sample size you're trying to look for with it? And the answer to that question is because I'm trying to build a proximity range that's specifically suited for a course. It's just as simple as that. The other proximity data gives you everything and all the players at every single course. And I'm going through and I'm looking at historical trends and trying to find the guys that are the best suited for this particular property. And then I'm recalculating the make percentages with the putts to equal 100% from the given ranges that I'm looking for. And, you know, who are the guys that are the best from those ranges? So it's just a completely like re-enhanced category that is, it's a hard way that's, it's pretty simplistic in the sense that it's just taking the, those two things and making it specific for the course. But uh, that's really the two things that I did that were vastly different. And, and that's what's so valuable, in my opinion, to what you do. It's kind of like a simulation, if you want to call it that way. Like you are simulating this course and this course only with the expected um, yardage ranges that should be shot at all the time. So I think it's I, I think we're going to have a big, big week. I wish there were better golfers playing this tournament just because there's so many unknown guys. I mean, just we were talking offline about Mito P. Uh, Pereira. The guy from the Corn Ferry Tour, his odds to finish top 40 are like they're shorter than plus 200. So that's pretty weird. I know he tore up the Corn Ferry. He missed a cut last week at the Rocket Mortgage. I do remember hearing a lot of people talk about him. And now you look at him, his prices are even shorter this week. So like when stuff like that happens, it's like I hate it because I don't have a ton of data. And I was actually going through Corn Ferry data and stuff like that this week. I've never done that on any other show that we've done this week. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. If it scares the hell out of me, I don't really know. I just wish there were a lot more better golfers to kind of set the pace here because I think this will be a fun tournament to watch as much as I don't like birdie fest. I think like, I love where my model is at for, for what it's given me right now for my guys, but I just wish there were a lot more firepower in this tournament, but everybody's getting ready for the open. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. I think that's the reason why KH Lee is missing this tournament in reality. Also, like he's already qualified from the open championship from his victory earlier in the season. And, you know, it's unfortunate that he doesn't get to play this event and we're kind of getting, I'm curious to hear why Daniel Berger is here. I'm not really sure if there's some sponsorship thing where, you know, his agent might have screwed him or something on something with it. Or maybe he agreed to some long term plan a couple of years ago before he blew up to where he's at now. But uh, he's a surprising name that's in this like Sungjae makes sense. Sungjae is going to leave from here and get ready for the Olympics to try to get out of military service. So the Open Championship isn't on his mind. Same with Siwoo Kim. But I mean, other than Berger, every other person, like, I mean, Berger's like the only guy this week that you kind of look at the leaderboard or you look at all these guys and you're questioning why he's here. 
Yep, 100%. Out of everybody on my total rankings, he is 2.5 points higher on the point scale, which is a significant amount on, on my model. It's just Berger, and then it's everybody else. So it's pretty wild, but let's get into it. Any uh, any matchups that pick to your attention or anybody that you're straight up fading? Uh, so, I mean, as far as like outrights go, like the whole board kind of feels overvalued for me. And, you know, you gave your Daniel Berger stat, which means like that number means more to you than it does to like, obviously me or somebody else. And I'm going to give another number that's not going to mean necessarily anything to anybody other than myself. Daniel Berger is three and a half times higher than the second price person on my board. So we're in the same agreement here that Berger should be the favorite. I guess my concern would be the open championship is next week. Like, I don't know where his head's at. I don't know exactly what his plans are. He's here. I assume he wants to win, but you know, there's an argument to be made of where his head's exactly at with that. But I don't know. I mean, the whole board to me kind of just feels a little overvalued. I don't love the idea of my model loves Brian Harmon. I don't really want to bet Brian Harmon at 16 to one. Like maybe there's other ways to find him and to fit him into something. Um, Some of the worst outright values for me at sub hundred to one were Alex Noren, at 31 to 1, Troy Merritt, Ryan Moore, which that's just some course history. Charles Howell, that's also some course history. Uh, Patrick Rogers, Kramer Hickok continues to be somebody who's overvalued. I, I question a little bit on that one just because I am running data so long term. I know the short term form is a lot better. He almost won a tournament a couple weeks ago, but somebody who still shows pretty vastly overvalued for me. JT Poston at 80 to 1, and then Dylan Fratelli is somebody I am looking to take on. I know he won this tournament last year. I always think these guys that come in with bad form and have like one aberrational win, that was his one appearance at the venue. I think that's being calculated into his odds this week. So he's somebody that I did take on. So uh, I have three head-to-head bets currently placed. Uh, One of them is on FanDuel. The other two are offshore books. I have Pat Perez minus 112 over Kramer Hickok. As I mentioned, just going to trust my model with that. Perez is a guy for me this week that's almost top 20 in all iterations of how I ran my model. Hickok's outside of the top 50 in all ways. So uh, that's minus 112 on FanDuel. There is a minus 106 on an offshore book if you do do some shopping, but I'm fine at the minus 112. It's not such a big difference where uh, there's a big enough discrepancy I have where that's value. I have CT Pan minus 111 over Dylan Fratelli. Uh, I think Pan's just a really safe golfer. I think he's generally pretty good at these TPC properties. And uh, 23rd for me overall, 30th from an upside perspective, 19th for safety. Fertelli is 70th in upside and overall and 57th in safety. And then the last one I played was Adam Shank minus 120 over Adam Long. Uh, Shank is 28th for me overall, Adam Long 76. I think Long's game is just trending in the wrong direction at this point. I liked him a couple of weeks ago. I mentioned him as a top 40 Missed the cut. He's missed a couple cuts in a row. I'm just going to keep opposing him until, you know, he shows something. And Shank is a guy for me that I don't know what his win equity actually is in this tournament, but I think he's a guy who has value in a lot of different markets, whether that be a head to head here, a top 40. I think he has some DK value for him. So he's a guy kind of just like across the board. Sure. No, I, I, uh, I love what you said about President Hick. (laughs) I looked at that FanDuel matchup as well. I have, Pat Perez ranked 21st and Hickok ranked 23rd sandwiched in between the two is Doc Redmond. So I didn't find a ton of value there, but now that you just said it, I will take it just because the rankings on Pat Perez are higher. And again, that's what talks about this tournament is Pat Perez is ranked top top 25 in both of our models, which is pretty goofy. You ready for top forties? Yep. uh, Let's go with it. You can uh, give me yours first. All right, here we go. One of my favorite ones, um, actually, they're, I guess they're kind of all my favorite. I really like a ton of these, 
is Joseph Bramlett. I had him priced at plus 140. He is 32nd overall in my model. And where's his pricing here? DraftKings had him at plus 150, and FanDuel's got him at plus 200. So there are a lot of pricing discrepancies between the two big boys in the industry this week. So Joseph Bramlett, two to one on FanDuel. I like that a ton. And bomb of the week already. Let's just get right after it. Bo Van Pelt. I have him at plus 280. And where is he at in my actual numbers? 52nd. And somehow I got him priced at plus 280 there. Usually it's about three to one. But DraftKings had him at plus 335. And FanDuel has him at plus 490. So damn near five to one in a massive... Uh, I don't know, math, 155-point difference from DraftKings to FanDuel. So damn near 5-1, to one, Bo Van Pelt on FanDuel. And then Henrik Norlander, I had him priced at plus 125. DraftKings has him priced at plus 120. FanDuel, 2-1, to one, so plus 200 on Norlander. I'm going to ride him. He's in pretty good form since you told me to play the hell out of him two weeks ago, and he was an absolute star that weekend, so thank you for that. And then Adam Schenk, a guy I don't know if I've ever bet on this uh the history of this show yet but i had a price at plus 185 DraftKings has him at plus 150 FanDuel 130 point difference at plus 280 so again another massive change and it's just those pricing differences are something that i'm trying to automate as well so i just saw that massive difference in DraftKings of FanDuel Shenick looks pretty good in my model a guy that i've never talked about but i'm gonna ride that one Johnny Vegas, I have him priced at minus 150. He is also very, very high on my model. Let me see. He ranks eighth overall. Scares the hell out of me. But again, this tournament is goofy. DraftKings plus 120 and FanDuel minus 135. So I'm going to take him on DraftKings at plus 120. I usually don't like to get that short with my pricing, but Vegas is top 10 in my model. So I'm certainly going to back him in a top 40 market at plus money. And then two I had questions for you on Kyle Stanley. He grades out pretty well in my model until it comes to putting. And I've played this course. The greens are fast, but they are very true. If you get, if you're good at reading putts and you're good at stroking the putter, like you should absolutely dominate here, assuming you put yourself in position to score when you get to the green. So, I like I I was just talking to C about this offline and he was asking all right do, can bad putters putt well here or do good putters just jump in front of the case uh, in, in front of everybody else so much more I think if you're a good putter if you could if you're good at reading greens and you're good at stroking your read you know hitting the ball on the line that you want you should dominate this course as the winners in the past have shown the strokes and putting is crazy high so Kyle Stanley not great with the putter I think that you know, he should have a ton of two putts, but the thing that are going to win this tournament are the guys that one putt all over this course. So Kyle Stanley, I had him priced at minus 150. DK has him at plus 110. So that's at 60 point of value. And it seems like Kyle Stanley is like the DFS chalk this week. I'm going to fade in DFS. I've already made up my mind there. I think C is going to do the same thing. But do I need to punch a ticket on Kyle Stanley to finish top 40 just to have a little bit of exposure in case he does go nuts this weekend somehow? I'm not sitting, you know, left at the station, I guess, while the train's taken off. My model likes Kyle Stanley. He's 15th overall, 13th for safety. He has seven made cuts in a row, four rounds of par or better. Um, when we look at his course history here, I have it running back to 2015 in front of me right now, but three top 22 finishes over his last five appearances. I mean, the one thing that always worries me about Stanley to some extent is that where is his upside for a top 40 market? You obviously don't need to worry about that as much with it. I think this is a weak field. I, I think it's an interesting point you brought up with the putting with it. Like, I don't know. I mean, you could, I could argue either side of it of what happens to a putter on something like this, if it makes it better or worse for them. 
I just think Stanley's form is in, in a really good spot right now. He's 10th for me off the T plus approach. Um, he's relative. He's in the top 50 on easy courses. Uh, the one, I guess, real red flag other than the putting would just be his par five scoring. He's 114th. Uh, for me over a two-year sample size. I don't know if the current form of that has been better or not. I don't have that in front of me. Maybe that's something you could say with that. But, I mean, other than the par five scoring, that's really the one thing and the, the putting that would be hurting him. Um, I don't know. I always worry about betting these guys that are in this, you know, plus 100-ish range with it. But Stanley's a guy that is consistent. He's making a lot of cuts. And I think with a weak course like this, like, I agree. I, it, I think the reason more so than anything of why you would want to fade him on a site like DraftKings or DFS in general. It's the ownership, but really it's the lack of win equity that he brings to the table. Exactly. Like, yep. Because if a guy's going to be like 15%, but he brings a bunch of win equity here and there, like maybe you want to go with that as a play. Like Stanley's a better cash game play. He's a better top 40 bet. Like he fits that threshold better than these GPP or outright tickets. So I think mathematically it makes sense. I have him as a value on my model. Um, only real concern would just be the putting, the par five scoring. And I mean, I guess that I guess it'd be those two things specifically. Yeah. So I think, I think I will punch that ticket just for the fact of that. I will not have one lineup with him in DFS. Um, even in cash. I don't think I'm going to play him in cash. I don't care what his ownership is, but yeah, that, that is pretty much it. Thoughts on the rest of those. So Bramlett, Bo Van Pelt, Henrik Norlander, Johnny Vegas, and Adam Schenk, or however the hell you say his name. It has been a couple shows since I butchered someone's last name. So, Adam, I know you're listening out there. I'm sorry if I butchered the last name, buddy, but uh, go get him this week. Just finished 39th. That's all we need. Yeah, Bramlett is uh, 37th for me on my spreadsheet, so at plus 200, I think that's a good value. I, I'm i probably the wrong guy to talk about with Jonathan Vegas. I feel like he's a guy I mention every single week, and he never one time ever comes through for me. He's 14th on my model. He's 10th for safety. Um, so at plus 120, I think there's value there. And then two of the guys that you mentioned in Norlander and Shank at uh, plus 200 for Norlander and plus 280 for Shank, those are two bets I made myself. So, you know, Norlander, there's 80 points of value from FanDuel compared to DraftKings. Uh, he's top 15 in driving accuracy and GIR percentage, which might negate his strength at a property where everyone's finding the fairways and greens. But I do think there's a chance that it propels his game. He's made three straight cuts. As you mentioned, he's somebody that I've been backing the last couple of weeks. I think it's a really good spot for him. And then that shank number at plus 280 uh, compared to plus 150 on DraftKings, I just think that's one of the better values on the entire board. Like that's going to be one of the bigger bets I make from a win total perspective here. Uh, you know, he's sixth at this property in 2019. Uh, there's that wild inflation in price. And Shank graded inside the top 56 for me in all categories I ranked, which saw him get a high of 14th in the bent plus birdie or better percentage. So really like that. Uh, as far as Bo Van Pelt goes, uh, not somebody who checked out in my model. Um, all these guys aren't going to fit the exact parameters of what you're looking for. Like anytime you get into a certain threshold of a player, like they're going to have negative red flags across the board. And uh, I think when you're looking at a top 40 market, you're trying to find guys that are the most steady that you can get. I think if you're looking for an outright ticket, you're trying to find a player that maybe has one particular skill set that they do really well. And then everything else, if it's just not there, like, you know, you can make it work a little bit more with it. But uh, and maybe it comes along that week. But yeah, I don't know. Bo Van Pelt for me is a hundredth in my model. He doesn't grade as a, a value for me. Uh, it's interesting that he shows up in yours. Uh, there's not really a stat either that, is popping up <laughs> right. for me just, that like just the palmetto that's it 
I, I might just be the Palmetto for like in it's the recent form. I mean, I guess if I look at where I will say, I, I guess the one massive difference is when I look at his last. So one of the things I have in my model is I look at recent differential over historical data. And so the historical data is the two-year sample size, the recent differential is the last 24 rounds. He's 46 ranking spots better in strokes gain total over the last 24. He's 45 better in T to green. He's 59 better in approach. He's 46 better around the green, 13 better in putting. Those are big differences. So if you believe that, you know, that is more of where he's currently at at this point, there's at least a recipe where it makes sense. Like, even with that being said, the safety number for him isn't even that great for me. He's 98. So, I mean, that's my biggest concern, but the recent form is a lot better than where it was. The only concern I have with that is the two-year data that I have from him is so bad that, like, I don't even know if the upgrade that he's getting over the last 24 rounds, you know, still turns him into a value. I think that is 100% fair. I think my model is just, yeah, obviously waiting the uh, the recent form. And the guy's 46 years old, so uh, maybe it's just the shorter course that's helping him out here. I don't know, but he's a Midwest guy. Maybe the Midwest meter in my model is uh, is pushing him pretty high up there. I don't know. It's not like he's that high up. It's just I had him priced at plus 280 and then saw such a big difference in 210 points to FanDuel there. So I don't know. I will bet a small, 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 small portion of a unit on Bo Van Pelt, but I am going to go pretty heavy on Norlander and Shank. Uh, Johnny Vegas, I'm going to trust it. And then Joseph Bramlett, I think this guy's just a really, really solid golfer in this field. I think he should also tear up the par fives too. I think that's what graded out pretty well for Bramlett for me, but those are pretty much all I have. And I really don't have a whole lot on the outrights, but top forties for you. And then let's hear your outrights. Yeah. I mean, the, the funny thing is Bo Van Pelt probably isn't even the ugliest player that we'll talk about on this card i have a couple that are just as bad like i went deep dumpster diving on some of these i'll talk about some of the ones i like a little bit more so pat perez plus 135 on FanDuel, plus 110 on DraftKings. and just for to save a little time here i believe every single one of these numbers that i got the better price at is at FanDuel. they were just better across the board this week but Perez has five top 40s in his last seven uh, tournament appearances on tour. He's ranked fifth over his past 50 rounds in strokes gain total on bent. And he has two top 14s in his previous three events. So I think it's really good value on Perez. He's ninth for me overall, 12th in safety. Don't love getting that negative uh, uh, disparity between that, but I think that's fine. I think when you get a guy that's a top 15 player, that works perfectly acceptably fine with that. So I like him. Scott Stallings plus 160. Uh, he's plus 120 on DraftKings. He's ninth in my weighted proximity and putting category. And he has three top 18s here in the last four years. CT Pan, I'm also going to be uh, getting another appearance from him, this time in the top 40 market. Plus 145. He's plus 138 on DraftKings. You know, Pan doesn't necessarily pop in any one stat for me, but he's steady across the board in all areas. I just think that safety is really good for an event like this. As you mentioned with Norlander, I am on Norlander at plus 200. That will be one of my bigger top 40s. Shank will probably be my biggest top 40 of the week. I have Von Taylor plus 175. He's plus 150 on DraftKings. You know, I've gotten burned by Taylor the last two weeks, but the proximity numbers are hard to ignore. He's first in total proximity, and he's fourth in my recalculations for this specific event. So that's a guy that I think that, I mean, you could even make an argument that I think there's some upside like win equity to him. I'm, I didn't punch an outright ticket on him, but I do think he's a guy that is worth looking at. And then 
Uh, the other two that I have little small wagers on right now, I have Josh Teeter at plus 300, and I have Aaron Baddeley at plus 400. And then the four that I would love to get your opinion on, I have not done anything with these four yet. And uh, I mean, some of these are really dumpster diving with it. And the one that's not quite so much, which I just think I need you to tell me not to play this guy, because this guy's becoming my new Jason Day at this point, or, you know, maybe <laughs> Jonathan Vegas of what he was before for me. But uh, Sepp Straka plus 140. My model loves him. My model loves him every single week. I don't know if I'm going to punch a ticket. I have an outright ticket on him. I will say that. So maybe I'll just go that route. And then the three longer shots for me, Bill Haas at plus 280, Anurban Lahiri at plus 280, and Cameron Percy at plus 300. So, I mean, those are some pretty ugly names down there. I actually love Bill Haas. I have him ranked three spots ahead of Bo Van Pell. What was the pricing on Haas that you got? Uh, plus 280. Plus 280. All right. I had I had him at plus 225. So that's, that's flirting with the threshold I like to take. I'm going to take Bill Haas. Uh, Vaughn Taylor, well, he's very high up in my model, and I knew I had a feeling you were going to talk about him. I just, there's something about him. His picture on DK, he's bald and looks old. It's like, I don't know. I can't get behind that guy. But what's his pricing? Because my model does like him a lot, and it usually never does. So maybe I will, I'll ride you on that one. But by the way, to, to answer the Bill Haas question, because I, I think I answered it incorrectly with it. My correct number on Haas was plus 200, plus 280 is what I got. So okay. I'm right there with you with the value. Uh, I'm actually even a little bit higher on him uh, with that. With Von Taylor, I got a plus 175. I have proper at plus 140. So, I mean, we're talking a very small, uh, very small bit of value there. But I don't know, like that proximity is what's really saving him for me. And that's making him pop out in the model. No, I like that. And uh, Scott Stallings, I absolutely love him too. Uh, Pep Perez, I was close to pulling the trigger on. I think I'm just going to play him in DFS and, and probably keep it at that. But I do love Scott Stallings. My model likes him a ton. He's ranked 24th, so right after uh, the Kramer Hickok. So I, that's the highest he's ever been, and he's a good putter. So I think we should load up on that one. Then who are the other ugly ones you had? Cam Piercy. And yeah, um, Josh Teeter's actually pretty high on mine too. I honestly couldn't pick about him a crowd, but actually I could. I think he's a uh, he's got a big bald head, doesn't he? I I, I believe you are correct at that. I don't know if I could pick him out of a lineup either, but I. Uh, so it's Teeter, a bald, bald guy lineup for you this week. It sounds like that you should be building for the narrative. Yeah, that's what I guess I'll <laughs> go with this week. I mean, it is a tournament where I do think older players can find success. So. You know, we'll go with that narrative. And the thing with Teeter is uh, he's the number one differential for me when it comes to value on both betting markets and from DraftKings. Like he's a $6,300 golfer on DraftKings. My model has him in the top 50 pretty much all ways I ran it. So uh, I love him as a top 40 wager. I think plus 300 is a really good number on him. Um, Aaron Baddeley at plus 400. What I liked about him is he has one specific skill set. He's an amazing short game. He's a great putter. You know, that's something that maybe like burned me last week. He missed the top 40 by one spot. I should probably blacklist him for that reason. But uh, value is there. I'm going to go back to him. And then, yeah, the other ones were just Cam Percy, uh, Anurban Lahiri, and uh, yeah, Bill Haas, as you said, you liked, which I, I, my model kind of really likes Bill Haas this week. So I was yeah, surprised I, to see that. I'm definitely in on Teeter and Bill Haas. Badly ranks 82nd for me. So that's just so yeah. damn low. And 83rd is Anabar Lahiri or Anaban. Uh, well, huh. How do you say it? I butchered another one. Lahiri. 
All right, let's just go with Lahiri. Yeah, Lahiri's right after him there. So I think I'm going to sit out on those guys. But I don't know, badly, if you want to think about it, like that is pretty good form to finish 41st for him. And a lot, you know, last week's field was a lot better than this. As, as weak as it was, it's a lot better than this field. Yeah, I mean, the problem is with it, too. Like, he came 44th at the Palmetto, which is another terrible event, and he didn't come in the top 40 there. So, you know, there are concerns to be had with it. Like, I wouldn't go crazy with it. It's As of right now, the bets I have on or in right now, that's the smallest one I have as far as units. Like, that is going to be for me that uh, right now, and I might put a little bit more on it at some point. I was curious to hear what your thoughts. I have two-tenths of a unit on him to win eight-tenths of a unit, which is a pretty big win total. I mean, I guess for what, how I build, I usually try to build about to win a unit on most of these guys. Uh, So it's a little bit less than that, but, but even still, I mean, he was just somebody uh, from a safety perspective, he's 70th. I hate that. That's not what I'm looking for, but he just had some certain qualities to him that popped out. And I think that if he gets hot with the putter, we've seen him dominate at some of these types of courses before. So uh, n- not good course history here historically. Keep it small if you bet it. But uh, yeah, I mean, to me, Teeter would probably be the one. I really like Stallings. I really like Shank. I really like Norlander. Those are the ones that are going to be the bigger plays for me. For sure. I think I can get behind all those. Uh, Cam Pierce, I'm kind of undecided. I'll have to look into him after this show. But outright, I will go. The only ticket I've punched so far is Joseph Bramlett, 190 to 1 on FanDuel, is the only outright ticket I've punched thus far, just because my model likes. Daniel Burgers, I'm sure everybody's model in the world is going to absolutely love him right now. And then anybody else that I want to bet, like Kevin Streelman, I love him. Can't bet him at the, the shorter pricing. Seamus Power is now ranked inside the top 10 for win equity in all sports books. That's my boy. The man that Spencer created. Um, I like. I can't bet him at those odds anymore. I'll play him in DFS all day long because this guy is just a really, really good young player. And then Alex Noren, I absolutely love this dude, but to see him priced inside the top 10 too, like, I, I don't know. I just don't know. Like, who else do I like? I, I like Luke List a little bit for winning upside, but I swear every time I bet Luke List, I have lost. So I'm starting to think I don't want to do that. And then Zach Johnson. Let me ask you a question on Zach Johnson and Steve Stricker. You know what? They kind of popped his outright tickets that I should punch. Do you have any thoughts on Steve Stricker Who's just? Yeah, I think he's ranked 11th in win equity and DraftKings, which is crazy. So I want out on that one. But he did pop as um, in my simulation as someone that could win it. And then Zach Johnson. Any thoughts on those two short game yeah, my, guys? Yeah, my model really likes both of them. I mean, obviously, I'm looking at course history, so both of those guys pop for that reason. Um, I, I guess my biggest concern with both of them. I think a lot of that course history is being, and, and as you mentioned with Stricker, I mean, that's outrageous pricing on him. Even if he wins the tournament, like I don't want to make it like he can't win. Even if he wins the tournament, there's just sometimes you're going to have to miss a number on it. So I kind of feel, feel like Zach Johnson's in the same boat with it. Like, um, you know, I've seen 50 to ones in the market. Maybe that's a little bit uh, of a better number. You could take a shot with it, but I kind of just think these guys make more sense as cash game plays um, for like, you know, DFS contests, or maybe you find a head to head on them. I just don't know if they actually can win the tournament. I think a lot of that's being infused into the number at this point. Yep. I'm with you there. There's really just no ticket. I like to punch. So I'm just going with Bramlett unless you have something good. Uh, not really. Like I'm kind of in the same spot as you. Like if you were to, if you were to put a gun to my head and say, who is going to win this golf tournament? Uh, and let's throw burger out of this for a second. I mean, I think every model is going to pop burger. Number one, I think that's the easy answer. I think the next two guys I like the most, odds aside, let's just ignore that for a second. Brian Harmon, 
my model really likes him. Kevin Stroman, as you mentioned, my model really likes him. I cannot condone a wager on either one of those two at the price. I think that Kevin Stroman, I saw there's a 28 to one number on him. I think it's a little bit closer to what proper is. Um, I still don't have it as being proper. And, and that's kind of what the problem is at this point. Like everybody's just a little bit overvalued for me. So if I'm going in with that mentality, I made a couple more outright bets than you did. And maybe, you know, like it's, I, they're all dumpster dive bets. The best guy I have is an 80 to one golfer and it stretches all the way to 320 to one. So I took a bunch of shots there. They're going to be small unit plays for me, but like essentially what I'm going to do is, you know, I'll have a little bit of exposure onto guys. Like I have Pat Perez at 80 to one. That's a fan duel number. I can't stop with Sepp Straka. I got him at 90 to one. That's going to, that's going to just be the ticket. I keep punching until, you know, I get sick of it at some point or I realize that I should stop doing it or maybe he wins the tournament, but I just think his upside's too good. Uh, Henrik Norlander is another guy who fits into that mold for me. 140 to one on FanDuel. Harry Higgs at 190 to one. Like if he came fourth at the PGA championship, I don't know why he couldn't do well at a course like this proximity numbers grade really well for me. I took a little bite on Josh Teeter at 320 to one, nothing outlandish there. And I took Wierenski at 80 to one. I mean, my total exposure on this card is so minimal. Like even with those six, like, I mean, this is like 25% of what I typically have in unit exposure on it. And the way I'm going to play it is I'm going to keep an eye on the top of the board. The guys like Harmon, Sungjae, Strillman, McNeely, Wise. I think Siwoo's the guy who can win this tournament. I'm not going to bet him at the number he's currently at, but see how they do after day one, see where they're priced. I'm going to look at Doug Gim, maybe Kevin Na a little bit lower and kind of just go with that with it. Um, you know, I think this may be a tournament that you can find some live betting value. You and I have talked about that a lot. C and I talked about it last week and the live betting is just a really good feature to use. I mean, if you can just keep some of your, your card exposure open, you're always going to be able to jump into a tournament. And I guess the one thing I would stress to everybody, just because I see it said incorrectly so many times, I know one of the big things that people like to do in this industry, and, and I like doing it also, is people love to look at ball striking numbers on day one and then look at what somebody did putting. So like a really good example would be somebody gains five shots in their ball striking but they lose four shots putting. And the initial theory is, well, that guy must be a great play for tomorrow in, in a vacuum. Yes. But you need to look at your pre-tournament research too. People do a really bad job of not incorporating back into all their research they put in before the tournament. And everybody takes, you know, one round of data and all of a sudden that becomes the new, like that, that's the Holy grail of the answer of what we're looking for. And I think that's a dangerous game to play. So uh, you know, yeah, look for the ball striking numbers. Look at guys that may be able to get hot with their putter. Always try to use baseline numbers compared because, you know, Hideki losing a stroke putting is not the same as Patrick Reed losing a stroke putting. So it's going to matter how a guy's gaining or losing his strokes, but always incorporate back in some of your pre-tournament research. I think that's the number one biggest mistake that people make. Yep. I cannot say it's everybody just thinks they're like due for positive regression. It's just not a thing. So it's not, uh, it could be, but it's very unlikely that it is. You have to go back to your pre-tournament rankings. I a hundred percent agree. And I think nobody is better than you at the showdown slate rankings and who should be, you know, due for good form the next day and stuff like that. So I, that's, I you got to follow Spencer on Twitter at TF sports is all weekend long during these tournaments. He is as active as anybody out there. And if you got questions, he will give you answers. Yeah, d definitely hit me up. You can find me on Twitter at Tee Off Sports. As Nick said, I build a showdown model for every single round. So, you know, you can find my pre-tournament model. Uh, I release that free on Twitter. The other one's behind the paywall at Roto Baller for the showdown stuff. But if you have any questions about a particular player, 
I am always more than willing to talk about where somebody's at in my models, where the value is being found with it. So if you have a question, feel free to ask me. And, uh, you know, once again, Nick, it was good to have you back this week on this show. Uh, I appreciate Sia filling in with me last week. I, I know we got a bunch of good reviews with that. And People loved hearing Sia. We'll have to have him on on this show again with the three of us. He added a bunch of great information, but uh, glad you had a good trip and it was good to have you back. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me back. We'll definitely get Sia on maybe next week or some sort of special guest for the Open Championship. I cannot wait for that. Then last question of the day for you. You mentioned his name. I'm going to play the narrative of this guy's probably played this course a ton. Doug Gim, 50 to 1 on points bet. Do I punch a ticket or do we wait to bet live? Because I feel like if he has a good round one, we are not seeing 50 to 1 again for Doug Gim in this field, at least. Doug Gim might be the one guy that I had mentioned of people that I was going to keep an eye on that might make sense to bet right now. Because I agree with you. And we see it with even his ownership on like DraftKings. He's going to be like over 10% owned. And I think some of these guys that they're, you know, you may want to wait on certain people. I don't think Doug Gim is one of them. If he's in contention after day one, that's going to be a 20 to one or less type number with it, with it. So uh, yeah, he's 21st for me overall. He's 11th from an upside perspective. That's a really nice climb for a guy when we're looking for outright value. And uh, like you kind of convinced me now that maybe I should place a ticket with you. Maybe that should be our last bet that we add right now. There you go. Let's do it. Everybody. I uh, greatly appreciate your time and good luck this week, Spencer. Thanks again, man. And good luck to you as well. Yep. Thanks Nick. Good luck, everybody.